Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Well, welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Grant Percet, sitting in for Nate Herbst, and today I'm super excited to be interviewing Dr. Stephen Collins. Dr. Collins is the Dean of the College of Archaeology and Biblical History at Trinity Southwest University. He's an archaeologist, he's a biblical scholar, and he's a professor. Welcome. Good to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'm excited because we haven't done a lot of shows on archaeology yet, but with Dr. Collins, we were not going to be able to say that again. And I just want to highlight the fact that the case for Christianity is a vast, cumulative case. There's a lot of evidence. Just like if you were at a murder trial, you wouldn't bring one piece of evidence against the person. You would bring dozens and dozens to convict a person beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, for skeptics considering Christianity, there are many arguments for Christianity, and I don't rely actually on any one argument. There's arguments for the resurrection, arguments from God from the beginning of the universe, the design, the morality of the universe, but today we are going to hone in on the argument from archaeology. Now, there's a lot in archaeology, but that's kind of what we're focusing in on today. So Dr. Collins, I just want to start in. Let's let's get right into the interview and I want to ask you why did you decide that the Bible could be used accurately to find Sodom? Well, that's a that's a huge question. <laughs> it <laughs> um, is. Besides doing a lot of archaeology in Israel, Jordan, Middle East, I I, I lead people on tours of the Holy Land mm. uh, every year. So we do an archaeological historical study tour, and I used to take my my groups back, oh, 15, 20 years ago now, uh, to a place called Babadra and Numira, two sites in Jordan on the south end of the Dead Sea that are the traditional sites of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. And in fact, if somebody went back and did a little video archaeology, they could find me on a on a TV show, Ancient Discoveries of the Bible, or something like that way back in, I think, 1994, uh, touting these two sites as, as Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but actually, um, when I went back and read the text, a couple of nights before we actually took some folks over there, right. way back in 1996, so yeah, it has, <laughs> has been over 20 years. The last years. century. Man. Um, I read through the text of Genesis, the relevant text from 13 to 19, and when I got through reading it, I thought, man, I just don't see anything in those texts that would locate Sodom toward the south end of the Dead Sea. Really? So you're taking people on tours, and they have locations of, of Sodom and Gomorrah mapped out, yeah. and it starts to dawn on you that this is the wrong place. Yeah, I'm reading the biblical text, and I'm putting it in a completely different location based on the geography that I'm mining out of the biblical text. Wow. So I get through reading it. I read it again and again three or four times that night because I'm thinking maybe I'm sleepy. Maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm blanking out on certain paragraphs. But I read it several times, and when I got to the end of it, I thought not only is there nothing in the biblical text to locate Sodom toward the south end of the Dead Sea, every bit of ge- uh, geographical evidence there locates it north and east of the Dead Sea. 
Because okay. I know the biblical geography well. I mean, I'm at stomping around that neighborhood. Uh, I know it better than my own hometown. Um, right. I know the geography. And when I read the geography, I understand it. And when I went back and looked at it seriously, because I'd never considered it before, got to understand, unless, unless you really focus on something and do research on it, right? you sort of lean back and rely on your colleagues other, Absolutely, other, yeah. other people who have done the research, you right, think. Right, But so I come to find out that the people that I trusted oh, no. in telling me that this was uh, Sodom, it didn't, work, it didn't work for me. So at any time did you get flashbacks from the movie Indiana Jones, where his buddy Saul says, yeah. they're digging in the wrong place? No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it, but here's the thing. I wasn't looking... I was in the... Just starting a new archaeological excavation up in the West Bank in, two, in 1996, it went to 2005. So at this point, I'm reading the biblical text thinking they've got Sodom in the wrong place. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking to argue with anybody. I'm really not looking for an excavation. Uh. So I just said, uh, in fact, I'm too busy to even think about this right now. I'm going to file it back in the back of my mind someday when I'm not doing anything, which who knows <laughs> when that will be. Right, right. I'll come back and address the issue. Well, we shut down our, our uh, dig in the West Bank in 2000. Uh, things got a little dicey up there near mm. Ramallah. Mm. And um, so we shut that one down. And about uh, midwinter of 2001, right. I'm thinking, what are we going to do this summer? <laughs> now, now, let me go back. When you said get a little dicey, what do you mean by that? I mean, you weren't getting shot at or anything. Gunships. Or, well, close uh, enough. Close I mean, enough, they yeah. They weren't shooting at us, right. but we could see the Israeli gunships. And we could count the rounds. Literally. Oh wow! That's how close it was. Okay, that's dicey. And I call that dicey. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was. A, it was a little interesting. <laughs> okay. So okay. we didn't go the next year, and so an archaeologist sort of gets nervous and antsy when, when you're not going to excavate, right. and you you don't have something in the works, and so um, that was happening to me. What am I going to do this summer? Oh, Sodom! It came back to my to my mind. Gotcha. I thought, ah, I'm going to spend this time working on Sodom issues. So I put in to read a paper that fall at the Near East Archaeological Society. I knew that if I didn't put in to read a scholarly paper, I wouldn't write it. I wouldn't finish the research. I'd get sidetracked. Mm. So I, I made the promise. That's what, that's what that is. I'm <laughs> going to be there, and I'm going to present a paper titled this. Here's the abstract, so you have to do it. Wait a minute. So archaeologists are just like anybody else. You need That's suspenses right. and promises. and. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got to be, you gotta be uh, on the docket. Or you won't, you won't write it. Right. So I, I did write it. I, uh, that, it turned in from a 10-page paper to a 20-page paper to a 75-page paper to about a 125-page small book. Really? Uh, between uh, February and, and October. I presented it in November at the NEAS. And um, that was interesting. I remember after I presented the paper that uh, Edwin Yamauchi, terrific uh, Near Eastern scholar, was making his way up to the front. And you always, can, when you do that and you think you, you've presented something controversial, mm -hmm. and there's a, a, a well-known scholar making his way to you uh -oh. after this paper was presented, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm about to get clobbered. Did you, did you hear the, the uh, yeah, Star uh, Wars music with Darth <laughs> Vader coming towards you? Yeah. And so uh, Ed, Ed Yamauchi came up to me and he said, I like it. I like it. Oh. And um, so I felt good about that. But there were some others... Uh, I, I will not mention their names, but there were some others who really kicked back at it and still do to this day. Okay, so 
So the paper, though, does the paper argue that Sodom is not in the locations, or do you argue for the location? Yeah, I argue that Sodom is not in the traditional locations and cannot be for a whole host of reasons. Okay. Because those sites are not only are they in the wrong geographical location according to Genesis thirteen one through twelve, right, which is the definitive passage on the location of Sodom. Okay. Not only do do they not agree with that passage, but all the sites in the southern area there were destroyed sometime around 2500 B.C., and I don't care how you slice it, that's hundreds of years too early for any possible time for Abraham. Okay, okay, I'm with you. So now you have confidence in the Bible. You're looking at Genesis 13 for the location of Sodom. You've already decided and showed that it's not in the locations where they're claiming it is, and so now, why would you claim that you found Sodom? Yeah. So what we had to do, by the way, in that paper and in my first book on the subject, which was published in 2004, okay. which was a year before we started the excavation at Tal al-Hamam. Okay. Um, and I, by the way, the paper was written and read in 2002. We oh. published it in a small book form in 2004. So you, you kind of see the evolution and the time sure. frame involved sure. there. but. Um, that book still today um, assumes that no excavation has been done. We left it as is. And it was interesting. I just wanted to focus on the biblical research. Okay. I didn't want to have, I, I approached it with a completely blank slate. I didn't do any outside reading. I simply took the biblical text to determine the location of Sodom based on the text alone without information from any outside source. Now that is amazing because I have skeptical friends that think the Bible is just mythology. I have, I know you've encountered them too, people who don't put any credence in the Bible and you're telling me and you're telling us that you found Sodom due purely to what was said in the Bible. Yeah, well, what we're, what we're facing here is incidental uh, or, or purposeful uh, ignorance. Usually when people come and tell me, oh, you know, uh, I've read the Bible, I think it's myths and legends, blah, blah, I, I usually have them specify. <laughs> now tell me exactly, just, just give me a story or tell me something very specifically that you object to as, as non-historical in the biblical text. And usually they can't do it. Because what I find is even most scholars that I talk to, unless they're Bible-trained scholars, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. know really nothing about the Bible. Right, right. They're parroting remarks they're, they're, they've heard from other they're, people. They're used, to, they're used to picking on some Christians who know little more about the Bible than they do. Mm. And what they find out quick when they pick on me is that they just picked on the wrong guy. Mm. <laughs> because... When it, comes to, when it comes to the Bible and geography in particular and archaeology, I know what I'm talking about. Right. And I go with the facts, which does get me in trouble sometimes. <laughs> facts are stubborn things. Yeah, it gets me in. From the left attacks me, the right attacks right, me. Right, right. But you go with the facts. If you're going to do science, you have to go with the data and with the facts. Well, was it Benjamin Franklin that said something like, uh, there's nothing sadder than a beautiful theory destroyed by a brutal gang of facts? Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> And, of course, uh, a lot of people just simply say, and I, and I, I would accuse my, my colleagues on the far left and the far right. Mm, okay. Uh, uh, their, their approach to it is pretty much, don't confuse me with the evidence. <laughs> That's too bad. It's too yeah, bad it really to is do that. Sad. It really is sad. But um, the whole issue of the location um, is a perfect test case 
for the at least geographical credibility of, of the Old Testament. Okay. New Testament's another factor because we're dealing with a very small space. Right. <laughs> the Old Testament, we're dealing with a much larger bit of real estate. Okay, good point, good point. And we're, in the New Testament, we're dealing with uh, 30, 30 years right. of time. Old Testament, we're dealing with several thousand years of time. So it's uh, different animals. But geographically, this was a perfect test case hmm. because there is so much geographical information relative to the location from, uh, of Sodom in the Old Testament text that it was fairly easy to draw a theoretical map of its location. Really? Which we did. And that's okay. one of the things I did in that book. Mm-hmm. I drew a theoretical map based on an, uh, a very thorough analysis of the biblical language in the original languages. And where should it be? It was very, very specific. Now, I've heard you mention this in lectures before where you've said it wasn't that difficult. I no, mean, did that, did that surprise you? It wasn't. It was a no-brainer. What surprised me was how other people didn't come to the same conclusion. It was almost as if, by the way, anybody that disagrees with me mm-hmm. has never, ever bothered to give an analysis of Genesis 13, 1 through 12. Oh, that's, they they mm. ignore it like the plague. I've had several scholars try to write papers against me, and I write papers and republish their entire argument, paragraph by paragraph, and pick them apart. Um, but never have they ever brought Genesis 13 back to me. Okay. They never bring it up because it's completely poisoned to any view opposing my view. Wow. Because the, there is only one passage in the entire Bible that tells you how to get to Sodom, and that's Genesis 1 through 12. Now, if you go back and you analyze that passage, it will take you to one location and one location only. And it's extremely specific. So based on that, we drew a theoretical map. Okay. So you take the known, you put in the unknown, and then what do you do? You get on the ground, you actually go to that physical location that you think the Bible specifies, and you check it to see if what it says exists actually exists on that location. Sounds logical to me. Okay? So this would be an objective way, or shall I state that differently, this would be a scientific method of objectifying the, the credibility of the biblical language relative to the location of Sodom. And by the way, this would apply to every piece of geographical real estate mentioned in, mentioned in the Bible. It's all extremely accurate, written by people who obviously are eyewitnesses, are near eyewitnesses of all of this information and are very familiar personally with these locations. Right. So you're just taking Genesis 13, drawing a theoretical map, and then taking that map and seeing, hey, is this leading me Let's to solve? Let's go check it out. The text says there should be several Bronze Age cities located in this area. Okay. And if they are not, and by the way, I was not happy looking at the American-made maps of that area, American maps, Israeli maps, um, European maps from archaeologists, the whole area is blank. Wow. Now, you see Jericho across the river, but pretty much on the other side of the river where I'm thinking the Bible tells us that Sodom is located, it's a blank. So I'm, going, I'm on an airplane headed to Jordan with my, with my small team to get on the ground and do the research and I'm staring at blanks. And test your map, and test your map. Yeah. And I want to hear, this is what I'm looking forward to hearing, is how you validated that map and found Sodom. So if you're just tuning in to The God Solution, you're listening to The God Solution with Grant Bursett. I'm interviewing Dr. Stephen Collins, the archaeologist who has found 
Sodom. You heard me right. He has found Sodom. And if you walk away from this interview um, and only remember that, the, that Sodom has been discovered with real archaeological evidence, I mean, that's a huge point to bring to your friends. If you're here at UNM and on college campus and they've been taught that the Bible is just a myth, I mean, this is incredible that Dr. Collins, up until this point, he's basically saying, I looked at Genesis 13, I drew a theoretical map, and now we're going to join him in the plane and going to see if the Bible is correct. Dr. Collins. Yeah, exactly right. Well, by the way, if you are hanging around UNM and you're doing archaeology, right. get your professor to invite me in and do a lecture for you one day. That's a good idea. That won't stir any yeah. controversy. Let's, uh, <laughs> That's let's, good. Let's, let's ask the questions. We invite, want... invite the faculty. So you're saying the students deserve the truth. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I do that in universities across the country, across the world. Go in and talk to, give lectures to the faculty, give yeah. lectures uh, to the faculty and students of, of archaeology mainly. Yeah. And... Uh, how do they? How do they take? I know I'm I'm going on a sidebar here, but how do they? How do they um, receive you? Uh, they take, they they take prodigious notes. <laughs> they ask great questions, and I've never had anybody successfully counter my position wow. in one of those venues. Wow! In fact, most of them throw up their hands and say, "Yeah, it's very reasonable." <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, be, uh, well, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not pulling any punches here. It's just pure pure science. That's all it is. So we set forth this test case. Okay. Science always says develop a theory. Mm -hmm. Our theory was to take the biblical text where it said Sodom was located and find out if actually cities exist there mm. within the time frame that the Bible specifies, which would be the Middle Bronze Age. That's the time of Abraham and Lot. Right. By all counts. So um, we, we go, and guess what we find? Now, the first thing you do is you go to the library. We went to the American... Now, I've been a member of the American Schools of Oriental Research for years. Mm. I give papers at ASOR every year. So we're involved with you know, all the major archaeologists of the world in terms of uh, you know, our professional uh, stature. But um, you go to the library. You see what other people have done. You look at the archaeological surveys. We found, found out there were multiple archaeological surveys, one in particular done in 1975-76, by a, a local um, uh, Jordanian archaeologist teamed with an American archaeologist. They did a very good survey of the southern Jordan Valley. We played off of that one, and before the day was over, on that particular day that we started our research, we had come with zero archaeological sites on any of the maps that we could find from, uh, from the states. Really? We wound up, by, the, by 4 o'clock that afternoon, we had 14 major archaeological sites on the map. Oh. Now, see, we only needed five. <laughs> That's right. That's now we right. had the opposite problem. Uh-oh. Now there were too many, and now we had to sort through them all and settle down on the ones we think would be the actual cities of the plain mentioned in the Bible. So you're looking at, at digs that are already taking place a little bit. Some of them had been excavated. Most of them had not. Okay, okay. But there's a, there's a process we do in archaeology all the time. We do it every year. In fact, we just finished doing some more this year. Even though we're excavating, we do research and uh, studies called sherding. Okay. We go picking up pottery at various archaeological sites, and the pottery doesn't lie. Hmm. It'll never lie to you if, it, if you find it. Now, you may not find it, but it's not lying to you. Right. It's just not visible. That's nice of them not to lie. Yeah. I wish I could say the same for exactly. people. Exactly. <laughs> 
So you pick up the pottery sherds, and that's how we date things. We read, we read the sherds, the forms of the pottery, and we can tell walking onto just about any site without even excavating it, what the historical sequence of that site is. Really? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So we know if there was early bronze and middle bronze and late bronze and Iron Age and so on, uh, we can see it. And so these sites had been well surveyed. They had been sherded. Some of them had been excavated, some to, more, to a larger degree than others. Okay. But looking at, at that, we just simply decided to go then ourselves, one by one, and look at every single archaeological site in the area that the, we think the Bible says Sodom exists. Now, how long did that take to go to all the sites? Not bad. It really wasn't bad. There were 14 major ones. We okay. had zeroed it down to 14 significant ones. Why significant? Because Sodom is not a campsite. Sodom right. is not a hamlet. It's not a village. It's not even a town. It's a city of, of substantial size. Ah. Now, there are a whole lot of reasons why we came to that conclusion. Quickly, uh, it's like this. It's always mentioned first. Okay. It's the only one ever mentioned by itself. Hmm. The king of Sodom in the story is the only one that has a voice. He mm. speaks. So um, it seems like Sodom gets first billing all the time, which in, in, in the ancient world means it's the largest. Okay. So it's at least the largest of the five, if not the largest in the area. So we zeroed down what were the top five, six, or seven largest sites. And that's very easy to determine based on the surveys. Right, right. And uh, so at the end of that day, and by the way, I saved the largest one for last for obvious reasons. Ah. Because my, theor my theoretical map said to me, Sodom should be the southernmost site mm -hmm. along this string because the writer of the Torah material always strings his Transjordan towns in a south-to-north order. Every time he mentions a string of towns in the Transjordan, east of the Jordan River, right. he mentions them in south-to-north order. Now, why would he do that? Because this person's mind is from Egypt. Hmm. Do we know somebody like that? Like Moses, possibly? Ah. Uh, so it's written very much from an Egyptian geographical perspective. Sodom is always mentioned first. Therefore, uh, it's possibly in the south. Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zebuin. Okay. So we saved that one for last for a whole host of reasons. Because number one, the archaeology, the archaeological surveys told us it was the largest one. In fact, in fact, Rami Khoury, uh, who's an archaeological writer there in Jordan, described it as the largest ruin, ancient ruin, in the Jordan Valley. Okay. And that means from the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Dead Sea on either side of the river. So it's big. By the way, today we know Sodom is the largest continuously occupied city in the southern Levant. Wow. This is not some little wow. site. Sodom this isn't is, a couple people with tents. Sodom is the most important Bronze Age site in the southern Levant. It is the anchor site for all the other cultures in the area. Right, right. It's, a, it's an incredible place. Which is, uh, if God's going to destroy a site and make a point... That's probably the one to take Absolutely. Out. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the ideas I've heard you share, I thought, was that even though this was really fertile ground, a good place to live, after the, let's just say, the alleged destruction for now of Sodom, 
it was uninhabited for quite a deal of time. Is that another tip-off that something pretty dramatic happened there? Absolutely, because it's the best watered agricultural land in the region. Oh. The Transjordan aquifer, aquifer disgorges right in that area. And so it's going to uh, be pretty, a difficult thing to explain how a city disappears, not, not just Tal al-Hamam, right. the site that we're excavating, that we're convinced is Sodom, but all the other cities associated with it in a 500 square kilometer area. So all those the became River. uninhabited. Yeah, exactly. The whole area became uninhabited, which is what the Bible says. God destroyed the entire land of the Kikar, okay. Genesis 19.28. Okay. The entire kingdom or land of the Kikar, mm -hmm. the plants, the agricultural soil that grew on it, the people, the cities, everything was burned up. Wow. Now, if that really happened, what would be the ensuing facts regarding right. that? Right, something. Now, now I'm the, sorry the to The fact cut, is yeah. that from the destruction of Sodom... Mm -hmm. To the next occupation is 700 years. 700 years. It took 700 years for the agricultural land to recoup itself after that destruction to the point where they could actually begin to grow crops once again. That happened in the time of Solomon. Now, do you have an assessment on what exactly happened or how it was destroyed, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Bible says, in pretty clear phenomenological language, it was an airburst. It was fire and stone out of the heavens. By the way, goprit, Hebrew, does not mean sulfur or brimstone. It means burning stones. Burning stones. Now, the only stone they know would burn was sulfur or brimstone, so it does have that connotation, but that's not necessarily what it means here. Mm -hmm. If you look for Sodom, you're not looking for sulfur or brimstone. What you're looking for is a is a, an airburst of destruction, a meteoritic airburst destruction that came out of the heavens, as the Bible describes it, and destroyed an entire civilization in a wink. Wow. Wow. And so that's what looks like happened based on the, there was no one there after it was uninhabited, and then did you find evidence on the ground for that type of a event? Yeah, we have, uh, of course, prodigious amounts of ash. Right. The city also, parts of it that were exposed to the, to the direct hit of the blast were, was literally blown off its foundations. Wow. The mud bricks were literally scoured off their stone foundations. Wow. But we also found uh, other heat indicators across the site that the, uh, the heat index for, for a millisecond rose to, to about 20,000 degrees centigrade. 20,000 degrees. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know... Uh, you're talking about something that's sort of atomic or nuclear uh, in its temperatures. Right. That'll nuclear, give you more than a, a sunburn. A nuclear explosion yeah. will, will, will give you that uh, at um, you know, a quarter, quarter of a mile from, from ground zero. Wow. And so uh, this explosion took place in the sky, just as the Bible describes. It took out an entire civilization, including the city of Sodom at the anchor. And so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these things are not coincidental. Now, you might say they're co coincidental. You could the say li anything. The liberals are going to tell us, mm -hmm. okay, the story of Sodom then must be some sort of legend based on the horrific event of an airburst that occurred over that area in the, at, the, at the end of the Middle Bronze Age. Yeah. And we're going to say, we totally and absolutely agree. <laughs> right. And then we'll argue about the, the reason for it. Okay, okay. So, I mean, the discovery of Sodom is just one of many other archaeological verifications that the Bible is geographically accurate. 
and Dr. Collins, amazing research you've done and amazing work. You've been an archaeologist, I know, for 30, year, 30 plus years now. Don't remind and, me. Ah, and so thank you so much for your work. Thank you very much. Appreciate the coming in and the evidence. Um, so now if you've been listening to The God Solution and you want to hear more shows and you want to hear this show, you can go to godsolutionshow.com and listen to past shows. You can listen to this interview and you can get the facts and everything that Dr. Collins shared. Here at The God Solution, we're big believers that the answer to life is accepting the gospel as portrayed through Jesus Christ. And the easiest way that I think about the gospel is the ABCs, accept, believe, and confess. First, we need to confess that we have a need for God. There's a separation between us and God. You can call it moral corruption. You can call it sin is the religious word for it. I think moral corruption really gives a good idea of that. And then finally, we accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's not belief, a blind belief. I think the word faith has been warped in these days, and people just hear blind faith. I think a more accurate word can be trust. And so the analogy I like is someone is riding on a tightrope, walking across Niagara Falls on this wire. He goes across, he comes back, the crowd is cheering, and he says, does anyone believe I can do it again? And they all say yes. And then he asks, who will sit on my shoulders? And that is what we're doing when we place trust in Jesus Christ. So here at The God Solution, we suggest that an open mind, an honest heart, a humble disposition, and a diligent search always leads to Jesus. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.